as Nathan said, how great it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning to worship our God, to pay homage until his son who died for us. If you're a visitor this morning, I hope that you are comfortable in the service. I hope you'll understand that we are striving to preach the gospel and to say those things as given to us in the scriptures. And it's my desire that the things I have to say can be backed up and are there in those scriptures for our learning. Now, most of us know that tend here regularly that we have been going through a series of lessons basically about the basics of our religion, the basics of Christianity, the basics of Jesus' teachings. And we have come to the point where my topic has been is the doctrine. We read there in Acts, the second chapter, where it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They did what the apostles said to do, and they worked at it. So we're going to talk about the doctrine. It says that they stood fast. They didn't change. They were immovable from that doctrine. The doctrine that we have, we need to stand fast in. It is that which is the truth. There was a man named Sam Hamstrud. He had a definition of doctrine, and I thought it was good. So I brought it up here. It's the act of teaching or that which is taught. To teach something is a doctrine. The act of doing that is a doctrine. In Christianity, he put it this way, Christianity is a religion founded on a message of good news, rooted in the significance of the life of Jesus Christ in Scripture. Then, doctrine refers to the entire body of essential theological truths that define and describe that message. The doctrine, the Christianity doctrine is based upon Jesus Christ. If he had not come, if he had not died on the cross, there would be no Christianity. So the doctrine is that of his life and of him, the gospel, the good news. He goes on to give an example to clarify his definition. He says, Jesus' death is an integral historical fact. He died on the cross. He died, but so did thousands of other people. That's not doctrine. Jesus' death for sins is doctrine. He died so that you and I can have our sins forgiven. That is doctrine, not that the fact that he died. Doctrine, then, is a scriptural teaching of theological truths. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, writing there in the second chapter, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, or with wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, you know, I didn't come and give you all of this stuff and, and speak excellent and all that. I came and preached one thing. I came and preached the testimony of God, which is that we're saved by Jesus Christ and him crucified. A simple doctrine. He's what I think is interesting, if you read 1 Corinthians from the first chapter to the end, you'll find that the Apostle Paul gives lots of instructions on how to live our lives as a Christian. He gives lots of instructions because he was disappointed at how that congregation, some in it, were acting and how things weren't going like they should. And he, he points those things out. 
But you get all the way down to the 15th chapter of Corinthians, towards the end of 1 Corinthians, and what does he say? He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you have received, in which we, you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I have received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul started Corinthians by saying, I came to preach one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He ends all of the words in between there, and he ends that letter by saying, what did I tell you? I told you that Christ died for our sins. And that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That was the doctrine that he was preaching. All of this stuff in between there were, were instructions and were encouragements and were warnings. But the doctrine was that Jesus Christ died for our sins. So really the doctrine of Christianity is very straightforward. It's easy if we look at it at what the scriptures say. You remember the account in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, where the, lawyer, the lawyer came and said, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said unto him, You shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law of the prophets. There are, in my Bible, way over a thousand pages of Old Testament. But our Savior narrowed it down to two things for this lawyer. Love God with all you got and love your neighbors yourself. All of the prophets, all of the law, all of the commandments hang on those two things. Our God today is not any different. Just because we are not under the Old Testament, he is the same God. And guess what? We need to love him with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul. And we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is what is hung on the New Testament. Look at James. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself spotted from the world. Is that simple enough? What we are supposed to do if we're going to be pure religion is to do good works, is to do good things for people. And on top of that, don't get caught up in the sins of the world. Stay out of those. Stay away from that. Is that simple enough for you? Jesus told his disciples, he said in John 13, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says love one another three times in those two verses. You and I as Christians, if we are going to, Christian meaning followers of Christ, if we're going to do that, then we better show love. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, As I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, re remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. He says, don't get caught up in minutia. Don't get caught up in worldly things. Don't get caught up in men's teachings. He said, no, the edification that comes from God is through faith. And that we need to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We need to believe that he died for our sins. We need to believe that he was raised the third day. And we need to believe through faith that if we will follow him, we have the promises he has offered. 
In fact, he says in the fifth verse, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. We need to love each other. It is the basics of a Christian life is that which is commandment of love and a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Do good to others and stay out of the evil of the world. It's pretty simple. We all know the account we find here in Acts the 8th chapter where it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, I'm sorry, a eunuch of great authority under Candice, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charged of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. And we don't even get the name of this person from Ethiopia, this eunuch, but we can certainly think he was called. I mean, the angel came to Philip and said, you go down there, and it's, if you look on a map, it's a long ways to go between Jerusalem and Gaza, and you will find this man. We know the account that Philip found him, and he came and he got up in his chariot, and he was sitting there with him, and the man was reading from Isaiah, and he says, you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I let somebody show me or teach me? And the scripture says, and Philip opened his mouth and began at the scriptures, preaching Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to water, some water, And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hindereth me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. I want to bring to your attention some things that I think is looking at this a little different than we normally think about it. This eunuch was reading Isaiah. That's what he had to read. And Philip took Isaiah and spoke to him of Jesus Christ. He convinced him he was the Son of God. He convinced him that he needed to be baptized to have his sins washed away. Now let me ask you a question. How many hours did Philip have to teach this man? Well, first of all, he was reading from Isaiah, so the sun had to be up. He didn't have a flashlight. So it was sometime in the daytime when he caught up with him. And he saw the water, so I'm assuming that it was still daylight when he found the water. So are we going to say they spoke for two hours, four hours, maybe six hours? How much doctrine can you put together in six hours? How much do you need to know for salvation? You don't need that much. This man went... To Ethiopia from there, he was glad. And guess what? We don't know anything more about this man. Did he have Old Testament scrolls at home and he was carrying Isaiah and he was taking it home? We don't know. Did he come back to Jerusalem every year to be encouraged and to learn more? We don't know. But when he left Philip, he had enough. Now, when he got down there on the first day of the week, you think he said, you know, maybe I should sing four songs and I ought to pray. And there may be another song. And, you know, I got Isaiah here, so let's read that. Do you think that's what he did? That's not doctrine. That's what we do. It's a good, orderly way to have a service, but it isn't the doctrine. He was taught by the doctrine in a short period of time. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, rose from the grave, allowed us to have our sins forgiven, 
and have them washed away with baptism. That's a pretty simplistic doctrine. And it was enough. For he went down. Now, did he spread the word to others? I bet he did. Don't you think he did? What did he have? Did he have the Gospels? Did he have the writings of Paul? Did he have James and Peter's writings? No. He had the Old Testament. For as we know, he just had Isaiah. But it was enough. For it covers the Old Testament, as we will read, is that which once the blinds were taken away from the Jewish people, it was there in plain sight. But... The Apostle Peter said, you know, some of Paul's writings are really, really hard to understand. They're tough. That doesn't mean that the Scriptures are just that. Instead, the Scriptures are put there so that we can mature and that we can serve God better. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, Paul said, for, when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. He said, yes, I'm disappointed because you haven't matured any. You became Christians and you're doing the doctrine, but you need to mature. You need to work at it. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason use of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The scriptures are there to help us serve God better. The scriptures are there to teach us what it is to be a strong and mature Christian. Apostle Paul to Timothy again says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. The scriptures tell us that he learned them from his grandmother and his mother. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Which Holy Scriptures? The Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament, once the blinds were removed, taught mankind that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And salvation came through the Messiah. It was Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that a man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped for good works. The scriptures are there not only for doctrine, but they are to correct us when we're wrong and they're instructing us on how to be righteous, how to be good, how to do what God wants us to do. One of the commandments that we find in the New Testament is perseverance. What good does it do you to be a Christian and then fall away? We are warned we don't want to do that. Jesus, through Paul's writing in Revelations, wrote to the Philippian brethren, the church in Philippi, and he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my commandment to persevere. You and I need to persevere. We need to be strong in the faith. We need to keep going no matter what. We need to persevere. An interesting thing to me is we find in Leviticus, the 26th chapter, God tells his chosen people, he says, if you walk in my statutes and keep them, then I will give you rain and its seasons. The land shall yield its produce, sorry, produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. 
Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and your vintage shall last until the time of sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. We know the history of the Jewish nation, the chosen people of God. They would serve God for a while, and then they'd fall away. They'd get punished, and they would come back to God, and they would serve God for a while, and then they would fall away. Guess what? They didn't uh, uh, persevere. They kept falling away. He gave them a promise. He says, if you'll walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, I will give you a land of milk and honey, everything you want. These two pictures are taken from like five or ten miles from the Jordan River in Israel. The land of promise, the land of milk and honey. Does this look like milk and honey to you? It's desert. As dark as I've ever seen a desert. God didn't promise that he would give them milk and honey if they just ran off and did whatever they wanted to and they fall away. No, he said, you keep my statutes and my commandments and I'll make sure there's milk and honey. There's not there today. The last part of that verse we read, and dwell in your land safely. The Israelite people are at war constantly. They are, it is not a safe place to be. Why? Because they didn't keep his commandments and his statutes, and they didn't perform the commandments. This is a warning for us. You and I have great promises. We have promises of a home in heaven. But if we don't persevere, if we don't stand up for it, if we don't what we should do and stay that way, we're going to end up like the children of Israel. It will be desolate. It will be a desert. So perseverance, we have to have it. And in fact, in Colossians, Paul said, And you who once were alienated and enemies in the mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Speaking of you and I, Gentiles, we were enemies, alienated. And Christ came and brought us, unto, brought us so that we can be holy and blameless. But he said, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard. Our promises that we have, God gives us promises through his son. But if we don't persevere, if we don't continue in the faith, then those promises are nil and void. They're not there. Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have, faith, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul, he said, you know, I fought the faith, and I'm ready to die, and I have done what God has asked me to do and what Christ has asked me to do. But he said, you know, the promises that are given to me, they're given to you if you love his appearing, if we keep the faith, if we persevere to the end. The gospel, the doctrine, gets perverted. In Galatians, the first chapter, the Apostle Paul warns of that. You know, back in those days, and I think that's what this is speaking of, the Jews that believed wanted the Gentiles to be, to be under the law. They wanted them to be circumcised. They wanted them to do the law, things of the law. But the Apostle Paul said, I marvel that you are turned, turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. None of that that Jesus said, none of the gospel had anything to do with continuing the Old Testament. Which is not another, but there is some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. 
And then he says, even if an angel or us. He says it twice. He says, anything, if we do that, then let us be accursed because we have changed, perverted the doctrine of, of Christ. In modern Christianity today, in my mind, doctrines have been divided into two parts. You have dogma. That's what does not change. You can go, I believe, to any church building in this town that's got, a, that's got services this morning, and they will preach that the God is the only true and living God. There's only one. And they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They believe that he died and was buried, and he rose again. Those are dogma. Those are things that any Christian religion will believe. The issue comes is that doctrine seems to be that which changes with present society. The canons that other religions use, the leadership meetings that come together and write letters to all the congregations, this is what we're going to do about this or that. The creed that they have that, has, that is not biblically uh, grounded, so, that, so it changes what they believe. You and I don't want to do that. We want to believe what the scriptures tell us. We want to do what the, Christ, uh, what the scriptures say regardless of our current present time that we live in. Jesus said in Matthew 15, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrine, the commandments of men. We don't want to be stuck in that. We don't want to get involved in that. We don't want to change what the scriptures say. We don't want to be teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. One of the things that is so wonderful for you and I as Christians is the doctrine of freedom. In the Old Testament, there were hundreds and hundreds of laws, do's and don'ts. And then on top of that, the Pharisees came along and added a whole bunch more traditions that everybody had to follow. Jesus came and nailed those to the cross. And we have the doctrine of freedom. In Romans 5 and 17, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness Righteous acts, excuse me, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. God gave to mankind his son as a free gift. We didn't deserve it. And we are not under the old law of do's and don'ts. Galatians 5, he says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Here, I believe he's speaking about trying to make the Gentiles being more like the Jews. For he says in the fifth verse there, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision avail anything, but faith worketh through love. Do you have the faith to believe that Jesus Christ can do what he says he'll do? Do you have the faith to persevere, to hang on? That's important. 1 Peter 2 and 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, 
yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as a bondservant of God. Just because we are free because Jesus Christ died for our sins and we have them forgiven, don't mean that we can use them as a cloak and go out and just sin because we want to and say, oh, don't worry about it. I'm covered under the blood of Jesus. There are a lot of people that believe that today. Do anything they want to do, but that's okay. I believe in Jesus. Of course, we know in Romans 6, Paul said, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But God being thanked that through you, your, sin, your slave, you were a slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We have freedom because we are not under sin. But that doesn't mean that we should sin willfully. No, it means that we become servants of Jesus Christ. He says here, slaves. He has bought us. We are his. So we need to be the slaves of righteousness. You've got to be the slave of something, the Apostle Paul said. You can be slave of sin or you can be slave of righteousness. That's your choice. Christ bought us. We're his slave. And we're the slave of righteousness. So we finish up our lesson. We need to abound in the doctrine. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we give us, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He said, you need to work at being better and better Christians. You need to abound in the doctrine. You need to do better and work at it. A little farther down in the fifth chapter, he lists things to abound in. Rejoice always. I'm always, quit, uh, always kidding about, I'm not good, I'm great. And you're not good, you're great. Not because we're egotistical, but because Christ died for us. So why aren't we rejoicing? Why aren't we happy? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from, e- e- from every form of evil. What did James say? Do good and stay out of the world. Hold fast what is good and abstain from everything, every form of evil. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayer. These people were new converted Christians. And the apostles there were to teach them the finer parts of Christianity. But you know what? It was Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead. Our sins are forgiven through baptism. That is the doctrine Everything else is to mature us, to be better slaves of righteousness, to be more of God's people. I hope there's been something in the lesson that's encouraging to you. That doctrine is what we talk about every time we meet at the end of a lesson. For if you believe that Jesus is a son of God, you know that's what the Ethiopian eunuch believed and said so. He confessed him. We repent of our sins. We have them washed away in baptism so that we can be whole again and without sin. If there's someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we sing a couple of verses of the song selected.